I always love following that. Uh, it's like a letdown. Don't leave you just yet. Although we have had church up in here today. And again, we're glad to see everyone here. And how fitting it is that all the songs and the biblical messages that we may be hearing of and come to us at a particular time are about when Jesus Christ is going to come again and make all things right. If you can't wait for that, say amen. We wait for that. We have to live, church, at a time. We have to live at a time when we understand that His return is imminent. Not so far out there, but it's imminent. We have to understand that. We might be doing things for the last time. You ever think about that? This week might be going to work for the last time. Amen. You know, we like that part about it, right? No more work. Okay, so don't do it anyway, but no more work. We could be seeing people for the last time. The people we come in contact to might be the last time that we ever see them. This might be the last message you ever hear. So I'm going to try to make it a good one just for that, make it memorable. You know, but this could be the last time that we ever hear what's happening. We're in the second week just into 2020. And depend on who you listen to, we wasn't supposed to make it this far. I mean, it's like, what are we doing here? You know, there have been so many times over the years where people have said that the world is going to end, that things are going to not be uh, around anymore. Those of us that are a little bit more seasoned, right? A little bit more wisdom out there. You know who you is. A little bit more wisdom. You may remember way back in 1974, there was a group in San Diego, California called Heaven's Gate. I remember who that is? Heaven's Gate. Now, I don't know them. We don't talk about them a lot in, in a lot of theological circles, but Heaven's Gate, they were a cult that believed that on a certain day, aliens were going to come back all right. Now, this was a theological thing. They're going to come back, and they're going to take sort of a, a dead cavity body back to heaven with them. And they believed they were the only part. So one day, what they decided to do, and this is not kind of unique. There's been a lot of groups that have done this. They all committed suicide. And they believed that that's when that was going to happen. Guess what didn't? All right. Not that I'm aware of. I'll go back and Google that one. But that was one instance about when that happened. How about 1988? Not too far back, right? A couple years ago. 1988, I mean, I wasn't even thunked of back then. 1988, people thought that the world was going to end. And they did it theologically. And one of the reasonings was that in the Bible, it says that 40 years or a generation would not be accomplished until all these things happened. Well, what happened in 1988? Actually, got to go back to 1948. All right, check the math on that one. That's when Israel became a nation. And so everybody's thinking, well, that's the prophetic clock right there. That's the calendar. 1988 has got to be it because that's a biblical generation. Didn't happen. What about 2000? Remember what was supposed to happen in 2000? Everything is supposed to like shut down, right? Back to the dark ages, right? Didn't happen. What about 2012? What was supposed to happen then? Remember, that's when a lot of people saw the Mayan calendar, Right? 2012, that's when it ended. So the Mayans must have been onto something back then. Okay? And so everything should have stopped and the world should have ended then. Didn't happen. Now, if you look at a lot of people today, we are rest assured that as believers, that we are closer to the end. But by the way, everybody that predicts that has one thing in common, and they are right about this the world will end one day. 
The world will end. That is a certainty that is in gospel, that is in scripture. You cannot prophesy, you cannot predict it, and you cannot tell when that's going to happen. Feel free to do that, but then you got to make up some reason why it didn't happen. Because Jesus said what? I don't even know. My father knows. The angels don't know. What's going to happen? One day, when the sun shines, one day, something's going to be different. One day, we're going to hear that trumpet, and I hope that we're remembered and prepared for that. But there are so many today that are predicting ambiguously, and what that means is with confusion, that the world is going to end. That if mankind does not do something, if we don't take care of everything, that within 10 to 12 years, we all going to die. The world's going to end, right? Now, if we listen to that, here's the problem with a lot of what they do. They offer scientific proof. They offer historical proof. But you know what? They missing a little bit of that. There's no biblical proof. And if you ever want to combat that, you know, uh, to combat anything about what they talk about, we've got to know the Bible. We have to know Scripture. We have to understand what's happening because there is a lot that is taking place even in 2020. But because of all these people that are raising the alarms, they don't understand that thousands of years ago, They say things are changing so drastically and dramatically, they may well be. But thousands of years before they even said that, some guy had the nerve to say this about the end times. This guy said that you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but the end is not year yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes and pestilences, but these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they're going to deliver you into tribulation. They will kill you. They will have you. You will be hated by all nations. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another. Many false prophets will rise up because lawlessness is going to be increasing. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Who in the world was that? That was the greatest prophet ever to walk the face of the earth, Jesus Christ. He said that in Matthew chapter 24 called the Olivet Discourse. We are at the end. We have to understand there have been so many. And again, no offense to any climatologist. No offense to anybody believes that. But that was written 2,000 years ago. And he said it's going to happen. No offense to all those political analysts out there who want to tell us that things are now escalating in the Middle East to the place where we have a war. Guess what, folks? It's been escalating for over 1,000 years. If you know history, we know we're smarter than they are, right? It's been escalating since the beginning of time. Why is that? Well, you got to go way back. One other one. This, by the way, is free sermon material for you. We're going to get to the message in a minute, but no charge for this one. But if you go to Numbers chapter 33, way back in the uh, where we're studying in Faith Builders right now, but it said this. God told them in Numbers chapter 33, thousands and thousands of years ago, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall become about that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides. They will trouble you in the land in which you live. Guess what, folks? That's the reason we have problems in the Middle East. It's not because of attack or anything else. God had designed that. It's been escalating since that time. God is still in control. God still understands where and what we need to do. So I want to consider 
one area today about that that kind of encapsulates all of these different functions. So if you will, turn with me to the book of Psalm. Book of Psalms, chapter 46. We're going to be there today to consider all these different elements about what we need to do and where we need to do until we wait for the second coming, until we wait for that day that's going to happen. We've simply entitled this praise through the ages and beyond. Or the alternate title, if you like, the Animatrix and Pixar and Disney, the Buzz Lightyear theology, right? To infinity and beyond. I don't know how we get there, but that'll get you a headache. That's theological. Praise through the ages. I mean, we, we want to praise today. That's why we come together. And it's going to be a praiseful, worshipful time. But we can't just have a time where we want to get through the week. We are looking to the future. We are looking for what's going to happen at any one particular area. And we want to praise through that time. Now, a quick synopsis of the book of Psalms. What was it all about? An overview of this. It was called in the um, Hebrew text, Sefer Tehillim. I have no idea if I pronounced that right. And you know what? It's okay. Sefer Tehillim. What that means is book of praises. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, we go from now to the end of time, probably. We started a sermon series on the book of Psalm, and we want to get through it. That's what we could talk about. But you see, what does it contain? What is all contained within the book of Psalms? It contains a lot of things. It contains history, confessions, moments of desperation, darkness, heartache, encouragement, events, past, present, future. Yes, it's a prophetical book. It was written by multiple authors as we go through it. And uh, again, most of them were King David, King Solomon, and he wrote through that. Many of you heard of the uh, Christian comedian Mark Lowry. I like Mark Lowry. He, he's an equal opportunity offender, man. He'll get on every denomination uh, if you listen to this guy. But he made a comment, listened to him kind of recently, one of the older uh, sets that he did. But Mark Lowry said, you know, if David had any type of medication back in the day, like Prozac or Zantac, we'd never have the Psalms. I mean, think about that. Because he's up one minute, down the next. Up one minute, down the next. He's doing all kinds of different things about what he wants us to get to, where he wants us to get to. This particular psalm is directed towards that. It's got all these different elements, and it's also meant to be instructional. A couple scripture verses there, I'll read them for you. Romans 15.4 is one. Romans 15.4. i tell you what the New Testament says about the Old Testament. Romans 15, 4. Whoa, right there I am. It says this. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says this. Now, these things happen to them as an example, as they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's last message says this, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. You, however, continue in the things, this is an admonition for the entire church, you continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And one of our famous scriptures, all scripture 
is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Because we got to keep on keeping on as long as we're on the earth and as long as God tarries. Those are the scriptures. It's an instructional type of thing. But also, those that like to sing and like to do that, it's the Hebrew hymnal. Because you know what they did with a lot of these? They sang them on the way to worship, right? We do that a lot, possibly. Maybe not like this. It's like we have music attached to it, whatever they're going to do. But they're singing them as they go to worship. So it's not just a thing that I know we look around and some people in the car next to us, all right, they're just wearing it out and you're assuming there's music playing, right, when they're doing all this stuff right there and you're looking at them funny, then you're doing the same thing. But there's always a song. That's where I like to sing because nobody else can hear me. All right. Yes, I do like my wife to sing because that's her gift. I try to do that. I would clear the room, you see. But they sang out of their hymnal. They sang going to church, going away from church. That's what they did. And we have to understand that what Psalm 46 is talking about, and I think every one of us has a favorite psalm. I'm kind of convinced of that. You have your go-to psalm. Could be Psalm 23. Could be Psalm whatever. Everybody has a favorite psalm that they go to. But I want to kind of focus on this one because Psalm 46 has all these elements together, all these things. And there's three things that I want to see out of what we're supposed to see out of where God is. And number one is the sufficiency of God. Look with me and read with me chapter four, uh, book 46. And the first three verses, here's what it says. Read with me. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. And I think that's a, that's a good one for everybody, because anybody have trouble up in here? Anybody sees trouble all the time, right? That's one of the things that we want to get rid of when the Lord comes back. It's like he's coming back, and that's going to be at the end because it's prophetical at its place. If you want the, the big word for that, we believe not only in the sufficiency of God, but the sufficiency of Scripture. Because that's your argument right there, by the way. Do you realize that? That if anybody and you want to sort of debate or argue with somebody, you see somebody kind of walking up your steps, all right, depending on how they're clothed and what kind of literature they got in their hand, Okay, and you know, if you ever want to debate them, it's like, all right, let's go. A pastor friend of ours always said this, that I'll give you five minutes, you give me five minutes. And they never give him five minutes, all right, because they want to counter everything. Sometimes we, we don't let anybody know that we're at home because of that. Just leave, you know, whatever you got there. But we have to believe in the sufficiency of God and the sufficiency of Scripture to answer every question. And we believe in what's called the inerrancy of Scripture. You've heard that before. You know what it means? We believe, as evangelical Christians, that what the Bible claims to be true is true. That's inerrancy of Scripture. What the Bible claims to be true 
is true. It is hard to describe things. It is hard to debate. And so the first question that you sometimes ask, and when you get into a debate, when you get into an argument, I guess, especially theologically, anybody ever done that? Or look around. But if you ever done that or got into that, nobody seems to win, right? And it's like, man, if you're going to fight, you might as well win, right? Am I right on that? That's biblical. Yeah, we go play a game, we might as well try to win. But we want to win our argument. But if you don't know what it is, and if the person that you're arguing with, the first question I would ask, well, do you believe in the Bible? Think about it. And if they say no, what are you going to do then? <laughs> it's like, all right, we're done. Because your argument should come from, bi- from the biblical context. And if it's not coming from a biblical context, then we shouldn't be saying it. We should not be arguing that way to get there. We have to believe that God is sufficient, and it's inerrant in a lot of different ways. A a parallel psalm is Psalm 34, 8, a couple pages over. Psalm 34, 8, and I know there's a lot of them, but a parallel passage is this when it relates to God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a song title right there, I believe, and a lot of them are based on that. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He is sufficient for whatever we're doing, for whatever problems that we have. We have to understand that first of all. Now, no matter what takes place, no matter what transpires, God is sufficient to handle that. I think sometimes our attitude is, is that we think our problems are too big for us, but too small for God. Think about that. They're too big for us to handle, but too small for God to handle. Any doers out there? You like to do stuff, right? Yeah, well, fix it. You see a problem? Let's fix it. Okay? Uh, talk to many of y'all. y'all. Some of y'all have helped me out in a lot of different areas. I appreciate that. Martin was grinning over there. He one of them. He might be two of them. All right. But I appreciate people that have that knowledge that are going to help people out as their gift is entailed to do so. But I'd like to learn, but you know, I'm not ashamed of going to say I'm not sufficient in what's going on. I could try to fix it, but then I'd have to go back and have someone do it right. What's the point? And so we have to understand that God is sufficient for every problem, every trouble. What we try to teach at the school and what I know that God-fearing families try to teach as well is when you make a biblical or decision or if you make a decision, make sure it's biblical, make sure it's spiritual, make sure you understand the ramifications, the consequences of every decision you do or don't make. But God understands that No problem is going to be too big or too small for Almighty God. Also, other songs that we have, kind of going way back, another big uh, important hymn that we have. A guy named Martin Luther, you probably heard of him, wrote a few hymns. All right. Now, I believe he had Psalm 46 probably in mind when he penned these words back in the 1500s after he started the Protestant Reformation. Again, I'll just read the words, won't sing the song. But he sat down to write, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he armed the flood Amid, I'm sorry, amid the flood of mutual ills prevailing, a mighty fortress is our God. No matter how we do that, listen to the words. And he says this, it's got to be sufficient for where we are. But we got to be to the point that we need a refuge. Go back to Psalm 46. And it says this, that he is our strength. He is our refuge. He is a very present help 
in trouble. And a lot of times that's the argument. It's like, well, I'm in trouble. And we, we, kind, of, we kind of do things backwards. And we do things backwards because there's some people in Scripture who did things backwards. Got to think of everybody's favorite disciple, Peter. Got to think of that guy because there was nothing orthodox about this fellow. I mean, he finally got it, but at certain times he didn't. If you turn to, to one, of the, um, one of the greatest stories about him is found in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And two things are happening uh, in this particular passage. And it's like Jesus is walking on the water. There's a swelling storm, and everybody thinks they're going to die. And all of a sudden, Jesus wasn't with them. They're in the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, they see this apparition. They see this ghost coming towards them. And what was their reaction? We're about to die, right? We, I don't know what about to happen. But God says to them, or Jesus said to them, in verse 27 in Matthew 14, he says, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Oh, Peter, of all of them said this, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And verse 29 said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. Now, first of all, we congratulate him for that. You've heard sermons before. In order to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. Okay? I don't know how he got out of the boat. I said, you know, he's hiking up the toe. I, you know, do I go, you know, one foot in, one, you know, dancing and stuff? Or did he just jump, boy, up uh, in that water? I don't know. I'd like to think he would do that. You try to walk on water sometime. Let me know how it turns out uh, or what, you know, you're going to do. But he got out of the boat, and he walked on water, and he came toward Jesus. And if we would stop there, it's a great story. Peter, bless your heart, son. It says, but, that's not good, <laughs> a spiritual but, but when he saw, and this is kind of ironic here if you think about it, he saw the wind, right, or he saw the results of the wind, and he became frightened, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. How is that different? How is that backwards? Because he did not cry out until when? He was in water, sinking, drowning, going down. And at certain times, we always want to reach up to try to feel God, not realizing that God has already reached down to pull us up. He's going to save him, but not until he said that. He's like, he's all good, boy. But he's got his eyes on Jesus, right? And when he has his eyes on Jesus, everything is great. And I think that's what the psalmist had in mind too. As long as we keep our eyes there and our focus on the sufficiency of what we're supposed to do, not the world, not secularism, not materialism, all these things. And again, as Karen said, things get us out of control and they get us off beat and off task of what we're supposed to do for God. And as soon as he started to do what? Started to see the danger he was in. He started to sink. And that's interesting for a disciple, isn't it? Because he was a fisherman. He had been in those situations before, and yet he sank, and he immediately said, Lord, save me. And he did, but Jesus had a rebuke for him, didn't he? And we don't want to hear these words, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Keep your eyes on the Savior, find the sufficiency of God, and we'll be there. Another thing, when you get historical, I get historical about a lot of things like this, but when they built the cathedrals, right, 
And the main area, by the way, where we're worshiping is called what? It's called the sanctuary. That's right. You ever thought about what that word implies? We call it a lot of things, but this is a sanctuary. And in a sanctuary, you are supposed to find what? Safety. That's right. You're supposed to be safe to praise. You're supposed to be safe to come as you are. You're supposed to be safe to bow down at this altar and let it all out. Back in the day, what they did was uh, they had a sanctuary. They had something called the right of sanctuary. If you committed a crime, I'll try this today, but if you committed a crime, you know the first place people would run? Not away, they'd run to the church. You know why they'd run to church? Not to confess. (laughs) That might come later. But they ran to the church because the law said that not even, and this is biblical, by the way, too, not even the worst offender could be taken from the sanctuary. They got that from the temple. And that's where everybody ran. Well, they, they grabbed the horns of certain thing, and they stayed there. And then they waited them out, I guess. You know. But that's called the right of sanctuary. So when we come together, we have to see the sufficiency of God. Back in uh, Psalm chapter 46, when we see that God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. That's what a lot of people are, by the way, speculating. Oh, the earth is changing. The world is going. Red flags, red flags. If we don't do something, we're not getting there. By the way, you want me to give you an argument? This is free information too, but no charge, no love offering on the way out. All right? But they think that we can do something to change. And it's my opinion and looking at it. I believe that the Creator has the right to destroy His creation. Nothing we're going to do. Now, I believe that we are to be good stewards of what God has given us, okay? But to raise the alarm that if we don't do something drastically, we always want something passed by kind what's that going to do? What's legislature going to do? We're not going to legislate God. There's nothing we can do to enable him to come a little bit quicker of what's going to happen there. He has his own time period. And so this is the sanctuary. We ought to be safe. We ought to understand our present help and trouble. Number two, if you look at verses four through seven, is that not only the sufficiency of God, we have the security of God. Verse four, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her. When morning dawns, verse 6, the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. And the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. One other thing about the Psalms, it's not only present and past, it's future. Now, how do we know this is future? Read the first verse. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, normally people think that's Jerusalem. Now, there is no river technically that goes through the city of Jerusalem. Not yet. Not yet. But it's coming. Let me show you how. It's pretty cool. Go back. I say go back. Go forward to the book of Revelation. From Psalm to Revelation, the last book right before your concordance and maps. All right? Revelation 22, the last message of the inerrant word of Scripture. Very similar, could be a prophetic utterance 
of the new Jerusalem. When we're looking for things to come, we already have a heads up. By the way, God doesn't want to keep anything from us. Now, we don't know the day. We don't know the time. But we know what's going to transpire. We know it will happen. That's why the end book is called Revelation. He is revealing it to us. Verse 1, then he showed me a river of of the water of life. Think of how this parallels. Clearest, excuse me, crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is the new Jerusalem they're talking about. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And we stop right there. That's the river I believe the psalmist is talking about. One day, there's going to be a river, and it's going to be for healing as we go through there. And all manner of fruit, all manner of things are going to come about to what we need for that time. He is sufficient to get us there. He is securing us to always make sure. He has always protected that city. You know, scholar of the Old Testament, now many of you are, if you look at the Old Testament, and Jerusalem was under attack. How many times? That's right, a lot. We don't know. They were always besieged. Sometimes God said, you know what, because of your sin, I'm going to let them conquer the city. But sometimes he did this. There's certain stories out there that they saw, the, and that's always dangerous, by the way. Uh, Peter saw the wind, right, and he saw everything. It's dangerous when we see the enemy. Because when we see the enemy, we see the effects of what the enemy can do, right? And when we see what the effects of the enemy, we get scared. And when we get scared and frightened, then we don't trust in what God can do. But we just prove that he's sufficient for all of our problems and that he's going to have the security. But sometimes God would allow them to see the enemy, okay? Did this with Gideon. That's one example. And when Gideon did this, he saw the enemy. How did he describe them? More numerous than the sands of the seashore. All right? Now, there's a lot of seashore out there. There's a lot of sand. There are a lot of folks. And it's like, no way we can win this war. And God said, look, I've already won the battle, or I've already won the war. You just have to fight the battle. Go fight the battle. Go get them. Sick them. You know, do whatever you got to do. Go get them. He's like, I'm going to fight along with you. I'm going to be out in front of you, matter of fact. That's why the Ark of the Covenant always went out in front. But God always protected Jerusalem, and he will protect them even to the very end. In Revelation chapter 19, we're going to go there a couple times, but if you go back to Revelation and you see what happens for the coming of Christ, as that song indicated, and as we think about this event, here's what's going to happen. We don't know exactly when, but it will happen. And I saw heaven open in verse 11. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. What a processional that's going to be. From his mouth, check this out comes a sharp sword, some of your versions may sharp two-edged sword, so that with it he may strike 
down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads on the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. That's what's about to happen. And we have to live as if that's imminent, as if that's going to happen. And when he comes back, it's going to be a little bit different than when he came the first time. But we have the security of God. We have the new Jerusalem. We can look forward to that time. The saving grace of the Savior. Back to Psalm chapter 46. And it says this, that God's in the midst of that river. And the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered because they all came against Jerusalem. In the Bible it says this, in the last battle, the very last thing that's going to happen when God comes down, is that you will see, and Jesus said this, you're going to see the holy city encompassed all about. There's no way out. There's no way to get away. All these cities and all these kings of the east and the west and the south are going to converge on Jerusalem, and the devil, Satan, will lead them. And all of a sudden, when all looks lost, God happens. And he comes down and devours the armies. He's done it before He's doing it today, and he'll do it again. We have to understand that we have the security of God. And lastly, the sufficiency, the security, and the supremacy of God. Look with me in verse 8. It says, Come behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow or bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. At the very beginning, he says this, the works of God who has wrought desolation. You go back to Revelation 19 and it's like you feel like by the way, we've always known war. You ever notice that? Anybody live a generation that didn't know war? There's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's been no escalation. Okay? God's going to escalate it. Rest assured. Because when he comes back that second time, rest assured it will not be as a lamb. It will be as a lion. Rest assured that when he comes back again, it will not be to be judged, but to judge. And rest assured, when he comes back again, and by the way, we want to be in that army of the white horse if that's talking about us. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that. Because it says this, he will come not to be killed as the first time, but to kill with a sword coming out of his mouth. I've seen movies about this and depictions about it, and it's things like, what's he going to use to destroy it? A literal sword? Could be. But you know, what is the sword often called in Scripture? What's the sim- symbolism? The Word of God. What if God comes back and He starts to quote all these Scriptures? And He starts to quote, can you imagine that the armies of Satan are just going to be laid to waste? Church, we have the same power if we quote and find out about the supremacy of God, and we keep that. Revelation 19 is a picture of the second coming, and in the Greek uh, version in Hebrew, that's called the parousia, and the parousia simply is a term that means welcoming. We want to welcome them back, 
And again, we don't know when that event is going to take place, but we know what's going to happen at the very end. But then we get to the hard part. It's talking about wars. It's talking about desolation. But then in verse 10, it said what? Be still. Row, row. Be still. And so many people are at war with yourselves, and we see that every single day here on campus, and they don't even know it. They don't even know what they're fighting against. They don't even know what they're fighting for. We've talked before that we should not be fighting for victory. We should be fighting from victory, right? We should be fighting that we know the outcome and what is going to take place. But so many people don't understand that. One of the favorite stories, very quickly, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings 19 talks about being still. We have a prophet of God, and the prophet of God, Elijah, is, is afraid. He had just won a great battle on Mount Carmel. He had just defeated over 800 of the, of the priests of Baal, but he got afraid. You know why? Because the king and the queen, Ahab and Jezebel, not real thrilled about that, so they go after him. But then here's kind of a strange story, 1 Kings 19, verse 9. It said, then he came to a cave. And he lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here? God ever said that to any of us? (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) You know, it's like, ever says that, I don't know how to answer sometimes. And it's like, when we're called to do something and haven't done it or something or called to go somewhere else, God's going to come back, uh, some people think symbolically, but I think you might audibly hear, What are you doing? What, what, is your, what, what is your conniption or foundation? What, what, is, what is your function? What are you doing here? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life. Now, a lot of us may not have been in this desperate situation, but some of us may have. We've been desperate Physically, we have been desperate uh, spiritually as well. And it's like, I ran. I got, I got afraid. And, and the Lord just, I, I can't imagine, just shaking his head. Just shaking his head. It's like, do you not understand that I'm supreme? And you understand that if you ever make it, and everybody have a mountaintop experience before? Anybody ever experienced that spiritually? Boy, you're on top of the world, and everything goes, wow, good. And, but what's the problem with being on the mountaintop? The only place you can fall is down. And that's where Satan wants us to be. He wants to make us down. He wants to make sure we don't do anything. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord. You ever said that? I've done everything. And here's kind of a complaint a lot of people do. God, I've done all these things in your name. Why have you done this? Why have you taken my loved one? Why is this destruction coming upon us? Why, 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 why? And God said, go forth and stand on the mountain. There's a mountaintop experience. So go forth, stand on the mountain for the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. There's a lot of people, by the way, up north. We talked about it earlier. You know, there's a lot of people devastating because of uh, weather and a lot of things happening. And they've got a lot of wind and a lot of things. So we can see this happening, breaking in pieces the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. And he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And, and behold, a voice came to him. And he said, what are you doing here? <laughs> Get about what I want you to. So Elijah had to listen for what? Sometimes we expect the earthquake but we get the still small voice. We expect the fire, but we get the still small voice. We expect a great rendering of what God's going to do, but we get the still small voice. In Psalm 46, I think that's an important passage. He said, you know what? All these wars that you're fighting, all these things that you've got building up in you, all these things that are happening, give them up and give them to God and cease striving. Stop fighting. Stop trying to fix. Stop trying to do what you're doing. Stop with your physical, mental portion trying to fix a spiritual remedy. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. That's not me saying that. That's the psalmist saying that. So why do we strive? Why do we fight? Why do we get against everything? Why do we forget the sufficiency, the security, and the supremacy of God? One of a lot of people's favorite verses, Isaiah 40, 31. Probably quote that with me. Those that wait on the Lord will do what? Renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will walk and not be weary. They will run and not be faint. That is the end time. That's what we're working for. So many times we have to strive. So many times we have to fight. So many times we have to try to figure out what's all going on. And God has already got that figured out. You know, 2020 has started in a very calamitous way, hasn't it? There's destruction everywhere. There is fighting. There are wars and there are rumors of wars. Um, our friends and our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico, pray for them. Many of you know people from there or even there now. Pray for the people of Puerto Rico because of the earthquakes. And we saw the other day, it's like they had just gotten the power lit in some areas. And all of a sudden, we have an earthquake come through. Pray for them. We have, a fort, we have fires in Australia. We have a missionary there that we support that is back and forth in Australia, and said that is devastating fires. Now, again, the book and the Word says, our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are higher than ours. Your ways are higher than ours. So we can't sometimes explain why God sends desolation. But we know that what's going to happen at the end. God is still on His throne. God is still there. And one day... We have to live and finishing out with this, that one day, according to the Bible, the eastern sky is going to split open and God is going to come back. We don't want to miss that. You talked about the Jordan earlier. Our lesson from today was a couple of tribes wanted to settle on the wrong side of the Jordan. There are so many people that have gotten to the brink of the Jordan. They have seen the promised land and they won't go in. And we can't wait to that time 
Because we understand that when that eastern sky splits open, whatever we believe or whatever's going to happen, it will take place. Very long ago, or not too long ago, I should say there's a group of, in a book, a, prof- a prophecy written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Now, the theology, we're not going to debate that because there's a lot of people that don't agree with exactly what's going to happen. But that's not the point of those books. A little bit later, they wrote another book of prophecy, and they made this quote. Ready? They said this years ago. We have more reason to believe that Jesus will come back in our lifetime, in our generation, than anybody else in history. Our calendar is just going, it seems like, a mile a minute. But you know what? God's calendar is too. He's got a prophetic calendar. And one day he's going to say, enough. Enough. They've suffered enough. They've gone through enough. Hey, Jesus, go get my people. We have more reason to believe. And there's really, if you study eschatology, the end things, or any prophecy, there is no um, prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the coming of Christ. Everything's already been done. So we have to be ready and make ready. And I would leave you with two words that Jesus said at the very end. He told his disciples, hey, what do we do? What's going to happen? What's going to transpire? What are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, there's a lot of sermons out there about that. But Jesus, on the very eve of his death, said it comes down to two things. And you know what we're supposed to do, church? Watch and pray. There's a German theologian called Karl Barth. And he made a statement one time. He said that you need to look at the world with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Now, today it wouldn't be newspaper because we don't read those. All right. It might be like Google or something else or the news or something. But it makes a lot of sense because we need to watch what's happening out there. Do we need to get into all these conspiracy theories? No. No, we don't need to do that. We need to go with what the Word says, with the Bible and even what the world is doing because they're going to connect. How are they going to connect? Jesus is going to come back on a white horse. He's going to make all things right. And let me echo the words of John the Revelator at the very end. And I think he just put these words in. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. You know what John said? Even so, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. Every head bowed. Every eye closed as we reflect during this time. Jesus said, and it just narrows down to that. Watch and pray. We have to watch for what's taking place. We have to pray for those. What do we pray for? Obviously, our leaders, you know, 2020, we don't know what's going to happen. We do know one thing, if the Lord tarries, right, if this isn't actually the last message you hear, if he tarries in November, we got a pretty big presidential election coming up that's going to determine where we go and what type of society we are. We need to pray for our leaders, pray for those in charge, pray for those not only in charge of physical cells, our legislatures, our congressmen, women, I don't care about party, I don't care about politics. The Bible says to raise them up. Raise up our leadership. Raise up whoever's supposed to be out there. What else are we supposed to do? You're supposed to be about the mission field. We're supposed to get out there. We need signs that say you are now, you know, leaving uh, to go on the mission field. That's what we got to do. We're not dismissing. We're going to the mission field. 
We don't know how much time we have left, church. We don't know anything about what's going to take place or transpire after this. What are we to do to watch and pray? We're just going to sing a couple of verses of an invitation and a time to reflect, a time to meditate, if you will, if you use that word, because we got to meditate. As always, nothing magical about this altar. It's just, it's made by man. But there's something magical about prostrating yourself before the Lord and finding out what am I to do. As he said to Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Be about my business. Just stand with me as we sing. I'm just as you are. And just think about what decision that we need to make even in this coming week.